0: So here we are, the beginning of the end, (laughs) may have seemed like you just arrived or you're just settling in, sometimes it flies by, sometimes it feels like seven years, (laughs) (laughs) depending on the day and the meditation and how you're feeling and all of that. So many of you are familiar with uh, the dance of being on retreat, being off retreat, transitions, learning to, as much as we can, integrate or continue uh, practice in whatever way or form from here to our life, to our other life, the unreal life. And um, it's always an interesting part of practice, how we move from intensity and depth to you know, busyness and activity and relationship and work and all of that. And it's a, it's a very insightful part of the process. You can have as much insight going home as we've had here and so I like to think of this as the midpoint of your 12-day retreat. So we're in day six right now. So tomorrow is day seven, so you're in the heart of the retreat. <laughs> just gets a little busier and more complicated and more interactive and more social and all of that. But from one perspective, it's, it's all the same. It's no different. It's just different sights, sounds, smells, tastes, touch, people, location, activity. But the practice is the same. Right? Awareness permeates everything and we simply meet the next moment with as much awareness as we can, as we do here. No different. Just a continuity of experience, a flow of experience. It's a bit like when you're driving along the car, you drive along in a car, in a way we're stationary and life is moving past us. It's the same with transitioning. It's just different forms, people, places. You might have a little preference for some being here versus there or (coughs) being stuck at at a gate at Albuquerque Airport because of a flight delay or whatever you get into. you know, the point is to to integrate and to live these these principles of awareness, compassion, wisdom, kindness. Chan was in conversation with a student and, and they were, the student was asking him about how long they should sit and isn't sitting in retreat better and isn't more better and he says, um, you know, people often ask me how long to sit and uh, and people often say that the longer you can sit, the better it is. I've seen chickens sitting on their nest for days on end, not necessarily growing any wiser, <laughs> doing more sitting. <laughs> so it's not an end in itself. The point is to live wherever we are with awareness, kindness, compassion. So, from another perspective, life outside of retreat is very different, as we know. As you remember from when you arrived, busier, faster, more technology, more screens, more multitasking, um, more stress, more interaction, more personality comes up. And sometimes on retreat, we take a break from our personality. It's a great relief. <laughs> we might not take a break from selfing, not part of the mind, but we, our more social personality, we get to let go of a lot. That's why we don't have much eye contact. We just become nobody, doing nothing, going nowhere. And there's something very sweet about that. And then as soon as we start engaging... About who we are and what we do and all of that. Suddenly, our you know, egoic personality starts springing back into place, which can actually be quite jarring and sometimes quite painful, because it's a straitjacket. When we when we take birth in that personality as who we are, right? it's it's none of it's who we are. It's a, it's a pale reflection in the constriction. So so one of the first things that we practice when we leave retreat is letting go. We let go of the place, we let go of the meditation, we let go of the form, we let go of the silence, we let go of the community, we let go of particularly the states that arise. You're in a, you're in a particularly quiet, even though you might not feel it, you are in a quieter, more sensitive, more open, often sweeter place, just as the the circle that we just did, the, the one-word circle. If we'd done that one-word circle on the first night, it would not have been full of words of peace, calm, <laughs> contentment, <laughs> space, <laughs> tired, grumpy, <laughs> <and> reactive, <laughs> right? So, so we cultivate beautiful states. You know, like that poem I read at the beginning of the Hafiz poem, we... Uh, um, we have all, all the ingredients to, to turn our life into joy. Mix them, mix them. We've been mixing a lot of very wholesome ingredients: patience, calm, focus, clarity, letting go, kindness, forgiveness, etc. Put those in a pot long enough, and you how beautiful states arise that are that are aspects of our nature when our nature is less encumbered by the busyness and the, the doing of our lives, something more essential shines forth, goodness, peacefulness, presence, awareness, natural ease. Mm -hmm. So just as as retreat practice is humbling, so can going home be humbling because the habits uh, kick back in pretty quickly soon as you get into cell phone range, watch that itchy thumb, you know, (laughs) here we go, start twitching, texting, messaging, whatever. And, and all of that brings up. So, um, So as I said, the the practice is both humbling and requires a lot of letting go, and that's why we train, that's why we come, this is a training camp for life, that we then integrate as much as we are able to. And it takes practice, and that's why many of you have come back to retreat year after year after year, because you realize, you know, practice goes awry, your meditation goes awry, your connection with presence or embodiment or love can easily get can wane. So, as a reminder, this story I like, I haven't read this for a long time, but um, the story by Portia Nelson, some of you will this, the autobiography in five chapters, mm-hmm. yeah? Do I need to repeat that, some of you? So it goes, something like, there's a hole, there's, I walk down the street, there's a hole in the sidewalk, I fall in, it's chapter one, in five chapters, chapter one. I walk down the street, there's a deep hole in the sidewalk, I fall in, I don't see it, I'm lost. It takes forever to get a way out. It takes forever to find a way out. Chapter two, I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I see it. I fall in. It's still my fault. It's it's still still my fault. fault mm. But I get out immediately. Um, chapter three, I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I see it. I fall in. It's a habit. I know where I am. It is my fault. I get out immediately. Chapter four, I walk down the same street, the deep hole in the sidewalk. I walk around it. Chapter five, I walk down a different street. (laughs) But you could think of those chapters as years or decades. (laughs) How many years have you, you know, (laughs) you know, (laughs) things that we learn and we know and we keep digging the same hole and falling in it. Not my fault. Blaming somebody. You've got to watch that Brene Brown video on blame when you go home. Um, And then, you know, we're mostly in chapter three. There's a hole in the sidewalk. I see it. It's a habit. So... We, you know with mindfulness we see our habits just like that. reading from Fenelon was talking about. we see our habits sometimes aghast and we fall into the grooves. So with practice we're trying to create more healthy neural pathways and habits and practices. So I think it's interesting to be on retreat and think about what elements are so powerful here, or what are the elements here that create such a powerful experience? It's not, not necessarily different in your life. You know, there's meditation in your life, there's nature in your life, there's silence at times, maybe. Moment, middle of night. Um, community, teachings... So to think about those elements that you can incorporate in your life, you know, it's essential, I think, when especially leaving a retreat. One of the hardest things about leaving a nature retreat is it's a double whammy, because you have both leaving the cloister of, of, of the inner life and retreat and the sweetness of community, but you also have the challenge of leaving the wilderness. You go back into you know, driving through some industrial park on the way to the airport or from the airport or... You know, and it can seem really, really depressing. Actually, it can seem really ugly how we scar landscapes with our malls and freeways and urban development. And so, um, so just to know that. So sometimes it can be a little disorienting as you leave, or a little uh, sobering, or a little sad. Even um, I remember once I left uh, this wilderness retreat. I, I lead these. Um, backpack retreats in, um, uh, in Arizona near the Grand Canyon and um, beautiful Navajo country. And one of the retreats, it was a 10-day silent retreat, and then I drove straight from there to Vegas to catch my flight. <laughs> and I had to stay the ne- overnight, you know, with flight delays or whatever. And um, that was interesting. <laughs> <laughs> And we went to this. We were, we were I was with a, f- a few of the guys, and we were starving. We were pulled into this almost like a shack, this burger joint, eating, and yeah, it was interesting. <laughs> As was going to the casinos afterwards. <laughs> Not recommended. <laughs> You'll pass quite a few casinos on the way to the Albuquerque airport. Not recommended. So, you know, go and. Uh, Mindfully gamble. <laughs> <laughs> I have a friend who mindfully gambles, he's you know, that's another story anyhow. Um, so where was I leaving the retreat? Different things to right, the different you know, to think about the things that you can cultivate in your life. Silence, taking more quiet time, spending more time in nature. Dharma study. People often ask me, um, you know, I come on retreat because in, in my life it's hard to practice, and I lose my way, and I get uninspired, and then I need to come back to retreat to get a little you know, kickstart, which is totally fine. Um, but how do I maintain my practice? You know, and of course, to sustain cultivation of mindfulness and awareness, it's important to practice, have a regular sitting practice, um, maybe some walking practice, and. Uh, what's important with any of our practices is, is we stay connected to them to the reason we're doing it. For me, what gets me to practice after all these years, 30 years, or one of the reasons is I, is I'm motivated, I'm inspired. You know? And wh- one of the things that inspires me is being around teachers, being around teaching, studying, reading, challenging my understanding, uh, reading things that get me to look more deeply into my experience, into my mind and so reading texts or teachers that um, stretch my understanding I find it very helpful um, you know and there's of course tremendous resources now Dharma Seed I was telling somebody about that today Dharma Seed thousands and thousands of Dharma talks from Dharma teachers from all over the insight meditation tradition Wonderful resource. Um, Please remember to offer dhāna to the teachers on that. I've had 400,000 talks downloaded from Dharma Seed, and I've yet to receive a penny of dhāna, which is very interesting. Not that I put them on there for that reason, but it's nice to feel some reciprocation of energy at times. Um, Beautiful resource. Please make use of it. You know, there's now great, There's so many different apps, meditation apps, Um, Sounds True, has some great series from Jack and Tara, Brock and Joseph and others. Um, I'm actually on a meditation, I'm on several apps these days. I'm on an app called will.com, W-H-I-L.com. I I have about 90 meditations for everything you could imagine. Um, Yes? Can you send us an email of all this? Yeah, I'll do that, yeah, yeah. Yes, I, I I will send you an email, and also also send a, include some of the poetry and all that stuff. So anyhow, many many different ways to stay inspired, support your practice. Um, so where was I? I got a bit lost here. All right, letting go. I have to read this because it's just very hilarious. So, this is from Achand Samedho. Letting go. The practice of letting go is very effective for minds obsessed by compulsive thinking. You simplify your meditation practice down to just two words letting go, letting go. That's four words. Letting go, just one. Rather than try to develop this practice and then develop that and achieve this and go into that and understand this and read the suttas instead of the Abhidharma and then read Pali and Sanskrit and the Majjhimika and the Pajna Paramita and Get ordinations in the Hinayana, Mahayana, Vajrayana, write books, become a world-renowned authority on Buddhism. Instead of becoming the world's expert on Buddhism and being invited to great international Buddhist conferences, just let go, just let go. I did nothing for this for about two years. Every time I tried to understand or figure things out, I'd say let go, let go, until the desire would fade out. So I'm making it very simple for you, to save you from getting caught in incredible amounts of suffering. There's nothing more sorrowful than having to attend international Buddhist conferences. <laughs> Which I would have to concur that is true. Some of you might have the desire to become the Buddha of the age, Maitreya radiating love throughout the world, but instead I suggest being an earthworm, letting go of the desire to radiate love, and just simply let go, let go, let go. So, you know, we make it very comfortable, complicated, right? And, and there's lots of amazing... Sophisticated, subtle Buddhist teachings about this and that and it really is that simple can we let go can we be present can we be kind can we not take it personally can we see our reactivity and release it to let it go So another thing that's important when we leave retreat is not to be unrealistic about our expectations for ourselves, you know, because we're human. You know, you might, um, you know, I mean, you may not get to the shuttle before you've gotten reactive about something, you know, (laughs) never mind your car or Albuquerque Airport or, you know, you pick up your messages and something some, your boss is on your case because where have you been and why haven't you responded to those emails and you suddenly lose it and you get on a rant and you're texting and then you realize oh wait a minute <laughs> breathe <laughs> slow down let go and same with our meditation practice sometimes we get very gun ho about okay and now I'm going to sit now in the morning now in the evening and You know, and that happens for a few days, and then, you know, life takes over. Dear Lord, so far it's been a good day. I haven't lost my temper, shouted at anyone, or forgotten anything. Amazingly, I've not told any lies, been conceited, or selfish. Nor have I done anybody any harm. I haven't smoked or even had a drink. Now, if you please, I must get on with my day. But first, I must get out of bed this morning. (laughs) So, you know, being real... Being, being realistic. Setting the intention for your practice that you will do and then you can build on. Committing to sitting for whatever minutes a day, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 40 minutes. But not setting an unrealistic goal and then failing and then having your now well-developed Buddhist super ego, your Buddhist critic, giving you a hard time for not you know matching up so another thing that's interesting to when we go home is um, to um, how we share our practice right so we just did a little mindful communication and I said a little about that already about mindful listening and um you know, words are very important language is very important and how we share our experience is also important and to be discerning about who we decide to share the subtleties of our meditation and our you know insights and our, the deep experiences which we have had here you know the, the shuttle driver may not give a damn what you were doing <laughs> up there they just <laughs> thinks you're weird for being up in the words meditating so weird, <laughs> you know and um, You know, people at work already think you're crazy and they just want to know you had a good time. You know, how was your week? Great. How was your week? How was life at the office? And then, of course, there's people who do care about you and understand what this is about and will want to know, know more intimately about insights and challenges and openings and how it's affecting you and living inside you and what was the relationship with nature and... It's beautiful things to share, of course, but to be mindful not and to not overtalk it. It's very easy to overtalk an experience, and it somehow it can cheapen it a little bit, you know, or take away some of its um, its um, potency. And of course, the other thing, you know, this is this practice comes out the insight meditation tradition, and a lot of the insights we have is about our significant others, you know, our partners. Our, friends, our parents, our kids, right? And so we might be very keen to share all our insights about them. (laughs) About what they should be doing and how they should be meditating and being more loving-kindness, more kind and all of that. So, I generally find people aren't that receptive to that kind of insight. I don't know why. I'm sure I was right at the time. (laughs) I feel I still shudder when I think about you know, I was 19 when I got into the Dharma and it was very idealistic and gun ho and I had a tremendous amount of judgments about everybody who wasn't being perfect Buddhist in person. And I gave my family a really hard time and I'm thoroughly embarrassed by it. <laughs> so this is... Um, so Natalie Goldberg, who lives down the road uh, uh, outside of Santa Fe, um, wonderful... Uh, teacher and writer, and uh, she's taught a lot of the ranch. And um, she has a story of you know. Sometimes we go home. And we get gun ho about you know. We get a little evangelical, you know, about you know meditation and maybe Buddhism and nature and and it, you know. It, as you probably may have noticed, it has mixed results. So this is her attempt. <clears throat> so it's from an article. Um, from somewhere. And she writes, my parents are visiting me in my new home in Santa Fe. It's a cool late July afternoon and we're sitting on the porch. Amazingly, we're not eating. We're just staring straight ahead at the high adobe wall 100 feet in front of us. We're sitting in a line, I'm in the middle. Hey, Nat, my father begins, what's meditation? Yeah, it's hard to explain. Then because I'm young and still incredibly foolish, I have a brilliant, daring idea. Do you want to try? <laughs> Before they can answer, I run into the house and get a bell. Accoutrements, I think, will make it official. Okay, when I ring the bell, you just sit and feel your breath go in and out of your nostrils, of your nose. If your mind wanders, just bring it back gently to your breath. We'll sit for ten minutes. Okay, they both say, suddenly, eager. This will be fun. They wriggle in their chairs to compose themselves. The bell sounds three minute, three times, and we settle into this most ordinary thing, people breathing next to each other. My father on my right, my mother on my left. Can I believe this is happening? Here we are, all paying attention. The 10 minutes feel spacious, luscious, and forever. The shade is cool, we're all quiet. This must be what heaven is. The time is up, I ring the bell uh, to end the meditation. Well, how was it, I asked. Did you have a lot of distractions? My father shrugs his shoulders. Eh, what's the big deal? Well, did you observe how much you think? Was it hard to concentrate? No, not particularly. It was like how it always is when you don't talk. That's why human beings talk. Nothing's happening otherwise. <laughs> I turned to my mother. Oh, love, I was aggravated the whole time about your friend. She must think I'm awful. At dinner the night before, my mother had blurted out that she thought the chapters of my novel were awful, and my friend Frances, who was there, told me later that my mother was jealous. I would confronted my mother that morning, and she apologized profusely. I don't know what came over me. Your chapters are lovely. Let's try again, my mother says. This time I'll do it right. I start to explain there's no right or wrong, but just instead say, okay, this time I want to ring the bell my father grabs his stick. <laughs> <laughs> he ceremoniously hits the bell three times. We're all sitting for two and a half minutes when my father suddenly belts out. Hello, Dolly. Well, hello, Dolly. It's so nice to have you back where you belong. <laughs> While simultaneously ringing the bell continuously to accompany himself. Buddy, please, my mother tries to interrupt him, struggling to reach across me to grab the bell, but my father won't stop, he's having a ball. I'm the only one staring straight ahead at the blank adobe wall, still attempting to notice my breath. I decide right then and there I don't have to save my parents. They don't count as sentient beings. They're in another category altogether. So you've been warned. (laughs) You know, of course. You know, like if your kids ask you or somebody asks you, you know, of course it's great to share and it's great to have people who are interested. I um, absolutely never talk about my practice or Dharma or meditation unless someone asks. I've learned the hard way, and I'm very happy to share when people ask. But uh, mostly, I I choose not to unless invited for that reason. <laughs> um, so what else? You know, I was very struck, um, I think it was the end of the groups today, and, um, and there there's some very touching sharings in the groups. Um, and And I think I made the comment about how uh, really it all comes down to love. At the end of all of our difficult, complicated practice, so much of this is about how do we love, how can we love, how can we love this moment, how can we love ourselves with all of our history and pain and traumas and insecurities and how do we love each other and how do we love people we're in relationship with that it's complicated and it's difficult and it's messy and how do we love this earth and all of its beauty and vulnerability and how do we love um, the systems and the institutions that that we're we're living within and, and that's perhaps our greatest challenge. Rilke had a beautiful line about you know, that all the all the work, all the preparation, all the practice that we do is preparation to learn how to love one another, which is the the, the greatest, most difficult task that we will face, perhaps. So to remember that also, to remember the the meta practice, the quality of Intention of the, having a kind attitude to yourself, to your vulnerabilities, to whoever you meet, and of course, um, we ne- we never do this alone, right? There's a reason we come together as a community, right? We create this sort of Transient monastery for a week, and um, we get you know, we we come together with a shared intention, common interest, meditation, nature, waking up, opening the heart, and so it's really important to find like-minded people that share these values, because as the Buddha said, this is against the stream, and. Yeah, most people at the office or you know, in the community probably don't relate much to what you're doing, maybe a little. And so, um, since practice is so hard anyway, we need the support of others, friends, mentors, teachers, community, sangha, um, to inspire us, to mentor us, to support us and and, and vice versa so you know wherever you are I hope you make use of whatever community or practice center or teachers or sangha that's in your neighborhood or town and if there isn't one you can start one just start a little group maybe some maids who comes out of the woodwork start a group at work I do a lot of mindfulness teaching companies and amazing how once you uh, put up a little poster and invite people, um, all kinds of surprising people come out of the woodwork. Um, I'm going to be teaching up in Saskatchewan in July in a, in a smallish town called Regina, and um, it's in the prairie. And uh, you know, 20-some years ago, a uh, Dear friend of mine, who was we practiced together in Bodhgaya in India, and she went back to live. She'd been on the road for some years, and she went back to Regina, and it wasn't exactly the hotbed of Dharma <laughs> practice uh, back in 1995 or whenever it was. And so she started a group, you know, she wasn't a teacher, but she, you know, put guided meditations on, and they're real little or listen to a Dharma talk from Dharma Seed and you know slowly slowly it built and you know friends came and then to friends of friends and you know now you know like I go there and give a talk you know and a hundred people come and this is a small working town you know and so it's beautiful and she's you know retreats 50, 60, 80 people come on retreat I mean it's really quite amazing um, so then it can happen anywhere you know so wherever you are, don't think oh no, it wouldn't happen here it's people that, whatever um, so and it's beautiful to see the Dharma flowering you know in most big cities and most towns and well, not most towns certainly most cities mm-hmm. so. Probably lots more to say, but I um, just want to say a little about... We'll have, do you want to share some things? I'll ramble on if you don't, but then... Um,
1: maybe one or two... Um Turn the mic? To, uh, as, as you go home, Mark was talking a lot about... Um, Mark was talking a lot about... Um, Cross the you know, people around you, and, and really keeping your practice to yourself. If you're the past. And another thing I think that um, is useful is to bring an attitude of kindness, particularly to those people who have made it possible for you to be here. You know, people who have taken on responsibilities, people who have taken care of your kids or your dogs or your plants. You know. Um, let my work die. <laughs> 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 so, so just to be aware to, to uh, meet them with a, a sense of gratitude because they've you know, made it possible for you to have a really you know, wonderful, restful time and maybe it hasn't been so restful for them. You know, maybe they've actually taken on a lot more than they normally do in order to make it possible for you. So, and attitude of kindness. And then another thing is um, really having to do with the the kind of the routine, the the rhythm that we've gotten into here. You know, it's a very different kind of rhythm than what we normally experience in our everyday lives with the the screens and Mm -hmm. the dramas and the you know, the schedules and the the worry and the planning and the, you know, all of that kind of stuff, we've been relatively free of of, of a lot of that here, and we've actually really uh, been held by this land and and sort of seduced almost into its own natural resource. and one thing that um, I feel is useful is if there's some way that you can look once you get back, and you're feeling the pressure and you're feeling that push to the schedule, and I have to do this and I have to fit that in, and to really notice, are there any ways you could maybe tweak your schedule a little bit to bring a little more space into it? Um, may not have to be a big thing, but do I really need to do that? You know, is that something that I can let go in order to give me a little more spaciousness in my life? So, I'm not going to suggest anything in particular, but just to, um, you know, think about that. You know, is there a way that you can bring some of this spaciousness with you back into that busyness that you're ready to re-enter here pretty soon?
0: So and I haven't talked about as much as this as I sometimes do but <clears throat> you know being on a nature retreat as I said in the beginning I hope it wakes us up as I as I pretty feel pretty clearly that it has to our deepening connection with the earth the deepening love of this precious land and and perhaps a a sense of um, greater sense of stewardship or responsibility, or sensitivity to how we live and our choices. And um, there's a there's a line that I use that um, called, it says it goes: "We protect what we love." I, I created a Facebook page actually called "We Protect What We Love," and I started that page um, around the climate around the climate summit in Paris and um, there's a, there a lot of really great uh, information circling about uh, really great actions and organizations doing amazing work with climate change and um, I don't know about you but I don't find the latest depressing statistic on sea level rise very inspiring. Mm-hmm. I mostly feel overwhelmed when I hear about the the increasing number of species on the endangered species list. I also feel overwhelmed and depressed, and so I started posting positive things about people doing amazing work in response to climate change, various climate actions around the world, and new technologies and new innovations. And so, um, feel free to check it out. But the 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 principle of that was. was encouraging people to get back out to the land and to, and to fall in love because that's what motivates us. Love motivates us. We protect that, we care, we protect and steward that which we, we love. So, um, you know, I remember, you know, having worked here for many years with a lot of very burnt out environmental activists, and it may have been the first time in 10 years they'd been out into the wilderness. You know that they were working so hard in DC and campaigns, and you know various administrations, and and they just you know hadn't taken the time, and they were burnt out, and they'd often go back to home and quit their job because they were just so fried. And then I would hope that they would come back in a more sustainable way. So I, I, I wish that I, I wish my as my intention is that we that we all take. Um, Inspiration from this land and our and, and love of it, and do our own small thing to protect this earth. This is from Robert Aiken Roshi, who is a wonderful Zen teacher and, and environmental activist. He says, It's called Versus for Environmental Practice. Waking up in the morning, I vow with all beings to be ready for sparks of Dharma from flowers, children, and birds. Sitting alone in Meditation, I vow to remember I'm sitting with mountains and children and bears. Looking up at the sky, I vow to remember this infinite ceiling of my life. When I stroll around the city, I vow to notice how lichen and grass never give up in despair. Watching a spider at work, I vow to cherish the web of the universe. Touch one point and everything moves. Preparing the garden for seeds, I vow to nurture the soil to be fertile each spring for the next thousand years. When people praise me for something, I vow to return to my vegetable garden and give credit where credit is due. With tropical forests in danger, I vow to raise hell with the people responsible and slash my consumption of trees. With resources scarcer and ces- scarcer, I vow to consider the of proportion. My have as another's have not. Watching gardeners label their plants, I vow to practice the old horticulture and let plants identify me. Hearing the crickets at night, I vow to keep my practice as simple, just over and over again. Falling asleep at night, I vow to enjoy the dark and the silence and rest in the vast unknown. So, many ways to take our practice. Hopefully, environmentally inspired practice into living a life that's more sustainable, living support, creating communities and ways of being, and structures and organizations and actions that are more sustainable and life-enhancing. And if you want to, if you want to. Be inspired when you get home and you're stuck in your house in the city and you're on your way to work in the cubicle on the underground. And, um, uh, there's a beautiful filmmaker who also uses the same line. We protect what we love. Um, what's his name? Uh, I forgot his name now. Uh, I'll email it. Um, he does the time-lapse photography, um, and, you know, sometimes photography can help reveal nature in a ways we can't see with the human eye, so he, he does like the, the you know, seeing, you know, roses and orchids and mushrooms growing, you know, in, in time lapse and it's very exquisite. So we use whatever we can to stay inspired and nourished and So, um, so normally when we this point of retreat, we say, you know, <clears throat> don't be in a rush to pick up all your emails. Don't be in a rush to pick up all your texts. Don't be in a rush to pick up all your messages. If you can wait, especially if you have to go to work the next day. Don't be in a rush to read all the papers, and you know we can be—we we can be—we're so stimulated. We can be that yearning can be just you know craving, and we buy a stack of newspapers to read on the plane and get easily overwhelmed. And we usually say it's the same old stuff, and it is the same old stuff. But there was something very tragic happened. There was a mass shooting in Orlando and in a nightclub and fifty people got killed. And fifty people injured. Very tragic. So it is the same as usual. More greed, more hatred, more delusion. And it's particularly tragic. The person was a uh, claim some affiliation with ISIS and particularly um, painful targeting a gay nightclub. And um, so I'm saying that now so you have a little time to integrate it because you'll see it tomorrow for sure on all the headlines and the news. And it's a particularly painful thing to have to walk into. So just more senseless violence and hatred, and ignorance. So let's just take a moment to sense and matter. So as blessed as we are to have these days of Quiet and solitude and stillness and nature and nourishment. As I said earlier, our practice is to also open our hearts with love and compassion to the world. So we extend our hearts to all those involved in the nightclub tragedy in Orlando, Florida, all those who were killed. All those who were injured, all those who lost family, friends, lovers, children, parents. with compassion may they be comforted may they be held in love support may those who are injured find healing safety to the man who killed and injured all those people, acting out of hatred, fear, violence, ignorance. of the broader gay community there in Orlando, <coughs> all those involved in the senseless bloodshed. May they all be free from suffering. Peace and forgiveness in their hearts. Whatever wishes you wish to offer. own heart with tenderness, for whatever sadness and grief and emotion is triggered. beings be free from suffering and the causes of suffering may all beings live in peace and harmony in this conflicted world